You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So, James, is this going to be a surprise episode? Yeah, I was just thinking of some stuff. Like, there's so much hypocrisy on the planet, and some of it annoying. Like, some of it bothers me, but some of it's just kind of funny because... I don't want to say people are stupid, which is not true. I think most people care seriously about their lives and and are as intelligent as they want to be. But then you just see things that are just completely insane. And I've been keeping track of them a little bit. And it's sort of fun to talk about. I started keeping track about it because one of my kids came up to me the other day and she said, I should recycle. And I have nothing against recycling, but I just wanted to drill her a little bit like, okay, why should I recycle? And she said, for the environment. And I looked up some data. So apparently, you know, it's all about how many carbon emissions you save. So, okay, recycling apparently saves some carbon emissions. It's a little unclear, but you know what saves carbon emissions is not having more humans on the planet. So I did my research and I told her that if I didn't have you... That's the same result on the environment as if 684 people recycled every day for their entire lives, assuming they would live to be 70 years old. So 684 people for 70 years recycling every day is the equivalent carbon emissions. I would have saved that just by not having this one kid. It's that much? Really? Six, that That's like a lot. That's like more than millions, right? I mean, here are the top ways to reduce your carbon footprint. Have one pure right. child. Okay. Don't ever drive a car. Well, I'm getting an EV, so that's a different story, I think. Maybe, but you know, isn't oil used to fuel the electric grid that your <laughs> car rides well, on? I mean, yeah, but less. You know, I'm about to get a car, then, you know, don't squish my hope, but less, you know, less carbon emissions. So having one fewer child is the equivalent of 58 TCO2 carbon emissions saved per year. Living car-free, like not driving a car, is the equivalent of saving 2.4. So this is the difference between 58 and 2.4 TCO2 (laughs) carbon emissions per year. So Wait, 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 wait. So so you're saying just have as much car as you want as long as you have less kids. You could have almost 30 gas-guzzling cars (laughs) instead of having a kid. Uh, A kid, a kid. We're talking one kid. Yeah. Or here's another one. If you just avoid one round-trip flight to London... Like, that's it. Just, like, oh, if you were planning to go to London, cancel it. Now you've right. saved 
almost as much as living car free for the whole year. So that's 1.6 TCO2 carbon emissions per year. Right. But you know what? I find it really irony when you when you when you talk about this. You know how they have like the summit for the environment summit every year? Yeah. Yeah, and then every year you see like everyone's like, yeah, we're gonna, you know, we don't have like uh, carbon emissions or whatever, and then you see them fly in private jets, like at least fifty of them fly in private jets. Right, right. So that's even worse than having a kid. So if they just yeah. cancel that conference, we could have one more kid on the planet. <laughs> so, uh, oh, here's to you buying a more efficient car, like a Tesla. That exactly. Instead of live, uh, uh, that that saves you one TCO two. Or switching from yeah. electric car to car free. Um, if you, I mean, you do need a car sometimes. I don't even have a driver's license, and I'm living in. A, I mean, I live in like a middle of nowhere, <laughs> so I use an Uber occasionally. Um, right. Eating a plant based diet that's zero point eight. Uh, using cold water to wash clothes that's zero point two four, and recycling is just zero point two one. For a year, the year's effect. If you recycle every day, you're saving 0.21 TCO2 carbon emissions per year, which again right. is nothing comparing to just not using a car or like my kid, she's on vacation in Berlin right now, actually. Like if she just Wait, hadn't really? done that, that's the equivalent of eight years of recycling every day is that one oh, so, trip to Berlin. So that let me thinking, okay, I, I'm putting my, my team for ahead right now. Do you think... Recycling is some sort of a campaign that make people feel good about themselves. You know, that's a really good point. Yeah, because you say like recycling doesn't really help us. It helps, it helps, but it doesn't help as much compared to having an iPhone, going to going to vacations, going to a round trip. So like, you know, like that, that led us thinking like does recycling just a talking point for politicians like, hey, we have to help the world. But at the same time, they are taking private jets flying everywhere in the in the world. Yeah. So it's all BS. Like if someone says to me, like, why don't you recycle? You're so bad for the environment. And like all these people go to LA, they go to London, they, you know, it's just annoying that people don't know kind of what they're saying. Like, okay, instead of me recycling every day per year, why don't you just go to a plant-based diet so we don't have to grow as many cows? And, you know, cows are one of the biggest sources of carbon emissions with their methane gas. So yeah, because they fart all the time. Yeah, so that was climate stuff. And look, I'm not against doing good for the environment. That's a real important thing. But just don't be ironic without realizing it. <laughs> all right, so here's another one. So I've been looking at my phone usage, and obviously my biggest phone usage is surfing the internet. Like I use Google Chrome as my most popular right, right, app right. on the phone. My second most popular app is anything social media. So like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, stuff like that. Third most popular app is, and this, by the way, is not just me. This is everyone. My, my statistics go along with everyone's statistics. Music is the third most popular app that people use on their phone. Games are the fourth. And you know what the least popular app on your phone is? What? Your phone. Your phone <laughs> app is the least most popular app on your phone. Why do they even call it a phone anymore? I don't know. Like you should just call it an iPod. It yeah. shouldn't be an iPhone, just an iPod, you know? Yeah, like, like yeah, yeah, right. I remember the iPod back in 2004 or whatever. Just, just yeah, that's, that's what the iPod is now. It has a phone app on it. Yeah. Well, and also the, the, the weird thing is like, I'm pretty sure I, I can speak for 80% of the people in the world right now. Getting a phone call, raise your anxiety level. Like if I see a phone call for, let's say my girlfriend, if I have one, if I see a phone call for my girlfriend, that only means two things. 
One, it's either he's cheating on me. Two, or she's breaking up with me. That's nothing else. Anything else that can that's explain pretty sad. In the if that's the only two reasons your girlfriend calls you. <laughs> Doesn't call I mean, to say, "Hey, you know, you know what it is? You have to make your girlfriend worried about whether you're." I'm not saying you have to do this. But right, she should right, be right. worried when she doesn't hear from you. Maybe you're cheating on her. So that's why she's calling on you. <laughs> no, no, well, no. I mean, a little anxiety is good on both sides <laughs> of the relationship. <laughs> I don't know if that's true because, like, I felt too much anxiety. I, I guess a, a little bit anxiety is, is it's good. But do you know what's the worst anxiety? Anyone just call you and say, hey, we got to talk. Yeah, right. That's the worst feeling ever. I ha- I'm really bad. I just don't like talking on the phone at all. And then people right. think I'm mad at them because I don't call them back. And I just keep delaying it. And I don't know. That's a whole another topic. For me, it's like I don't like get a phone call because I haven't been talking on the phone for so long or in person. So like I need time to process my thinking before replying to anything. Yeah. So if someone email me or text me, I'm like, okay, yeah, give me five minutes to think about it. And then I reply to it. Well, that's good that you reply. I don't reply. You're very that. That's why you're a good producer for the uh, podcast because you reply to people. I try my. Best. I wouldn't have any guests at all if I never replied. To, if if it was me being producing my own podcast. So so okay. So here's right. here's another one. So I read this in a study. The number one skill that people say they want to learn. They were asked like, "What is the number one skill you want to learn?" The number one skill they want to learn is how to be more productive. Okay, keep that in mind. Here's another statistic. 32.8 million people, 32.8 million people watched the entire series of Game of Thrones. Now it takes, there were 64, it takes 64 hours to watch the entire series of Game of Thrones. So that means if you add that all up, that's, you know, 32.8 million people times the 64 hours, that's 2,099,200,000 hours. So that's 2 billion wasted hours of productivity in society. So if oh my God. imagine imagine if nobody ever watched Game of Thrones and instead they actually did become more productive. Like the okay, here's number one tip to become more productive. Don't watch Game of Thrones. Like you can get it, it takes 40 hours to get a pilot's license. All right, I'm I'm I don't know if I told you right. I'm going to go for a pilot's license. It takes 40 hours of right. flying to get a pilot's license. So it takes less time to get a pilot's license than to watch Game of Thrones. Like all 32 million people could have gotten a pilot's license and they still have another 24 hours of productivity left. They could they could get a pilot's license and, and write a short novella in yeah. the time it took them to watch Game of Thrones. You know, I felt like if no one watched Game of Thrones, we probably would kill AIDS by now. We could have gene edited cancer out of society with those two billion hours. Like, what? What could you do with two billion hours of productivity? That, and this is just in America. Okay, I'm gonna challenge you a little bit. What if someone just go up and, to you and say, James, it doesn't work like like that. So if everyone's watching at the same times, it's only that amount of time. It doesn't accumulate. It doesn't add up. I would say, relearn first grade math and. <laughs> I, yeah, but what if know, everyone's we'll, sit down at eight o'clock and stop watching it? No, but that that's true though. Like, like uh, you know, sometimes Robin, you know, my wife says, "Don't order food. We'll just make food here." And I'm like, "It's only fifteen dollars for me to order food, and I, I'd rather not have to make food and then clean the dishes. Like, my time is valuable." And she's like, "But fifteen dollars is a lot. It adds up." And I do make the point to her: it only adds up if you add it up. 
Otherwise, <laughs> it never adds up. So I don't. I just don't add those numbers up, and then I don't care. It never bothers me. Like if I'm down to my last fifteen dollars in life, I'm in trouble. So right. Here's another interesting one. So there was a survey. Seventy-four percent of Americans think that the country is getting more unethical. Specifically, it's a Gallup poll. They found that 74% of Americans think that the state of moral values in the country as a whole is getting worse. But here's another right. thing. 96% of Americans said on the same poll that they've lied or committed dishonest acts to those closest to them. And, and 93% of people, 93% of Americans report being dishonest at work or at school. So here's the thing. So there's two, several things wrong with this picture. One is there's a saying, be the change that you want. So if you want America to be more ethical and not more unethical, then all of you are that the 96% of Americans that say that they have lied to people closest to them, stop lying to the people close to you. Like, why are you lying to the people you love? And by the way, if you stop doing that, maybe America won't be so unethical or won't, won't be heading in, the, in a state that you don't, in a moral state that you don't like. Right. I'm, I'm just curious. Did they say how they conduct this survey like, about the ethical? Like, I feel like ethical is such a broad definition. They said specifically, do you think the state of moral values in the country as a whole is getting worse? And 74% said yes. Ah, gotcha. But here's a weird one. This is the one I don't understand. 34% of the men and 10% of women admitted lying in order to get sex. Why do 10% of women admit to lying in order to get sex? Like, I would think 0% of women have to lie in order to get sex. Well, the, the question is, why would anyone, like, answer that survey, right? Like They're being honest. They, they just like, answered questions about honesty, so they're being honest. So, but, like, I, I don't think, like, what, what, what could she possibly say? <gasps> Yo, you know what? You know what? Maybe the 10% of the woman maybe is having an affair. Maybe they say they're getting divorced from their husband. Yeah, yeah. I could guarantee you that most of the men they're talking to probably don't care that they're married if they're about to have sex. So, I mean, you're not wrong. So these 10%, they should try not lying and still get the same results, is my guess. Well, I, I felt like they are lying out of their guilt. Ah, no, I mean, oh, you know what it is? Here's what yeah. it is. They're lying about how many partners they've had in the past. How, how would that lead to sex? Because I think... The one thing is like, uh, this is not my opinion. I'm just saying this is society. I think men in general care more about how many partners their, uh, their, their, their girlfriend or wife has had than women who care about how many partners their husband or man has had. That might not be true, but I think women are probably more likely to lie about that than men are. Because uh, men are sort of demonstrating, you know, hey, they're alpha enough to right. uh, ego. attract other women. Right. The only lie I could think is is that they're not saying the accurate number of how many partners they've had. Right, right. I mean, I, I'm still going to stick with like, yeah, I'm divorced or whatever. Oh, here's an interesting one. 20% of men and 4% and of women said they would tell an inquiring partner they had taken a test for AIDS antibodies, even if they had not. I mean, I definitely would do that. Uh. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm. I'm. I'm the best person in the world, but I definitely would do that. So, 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 if you, so, what you're saying is, you're saying if you hadn't taken an AIDS test, and a woman says, "Hey, have you taken an AIDS test?" You would maybe say yes. 
I would maybe say yes. I'm not. It's not a definite yes, but I would maybe say yes. It's just like, hey, it's just like if I'm going out with a person and they ask me, hey, have you taken a COVID test? And I feel fine. I'm gonna like, yeah, I take a COVID test is negative. I'm probably more likely to lie about the COVID test than the AIDS test. Just really maybe Why? because I've been mostly just married, so it's not like a, an issue uh, for me. Right, right, right. Well, may, for me, it's mainly because I do want to go through the whole conversations of like, oh, why you don't take that, blah, blah. And then it, if they make me do it, I also like think that getting all the tests is just a hustle. Like you're, you're spending money, you're spending money taking a ride and you're polluting the air while taking the ride with a gas car to take the test. Round yeah, there right. you go. So you're just trying to help <laughs> yes. the environment by not taking yes. all these tests. Yes. I get it. That makes sense. Um, uh, so, okay. Here's a chart where depending on how many years of marriage people have had, they asked how satisfied you were. On average, 70% of the couples that have been married a year say they're satisfied with their marriage. And that number goes up until like two to five years. At five years, it's like 73% of couples who have been married two to five years say that they're satisfied with their marriage. And what's interesting there is, I think I've seen some brain scientists talk about this the other day. We should get this guy on the podcast. It was, it was a professor, I think, from UCLA. And he was saying that after three years, these bonding hormones start to go away. If you're, if you're with someone for three years, uh, these bonding hormones that first attracted right. you and created all the lust and feelings of excitement they start to go away and you kind of have to find new ways to love someone in order to continue to be satisfied. And I think that is an important challenge for marriages between two and five years. And then after 10 years, only 40% of the average couple says they're satisfied with their marriage after 10 years. So the majority of married couples of more than 10 years are dissatisfied with their marriage. So I felt like the chances of divorce is higher at five years. Yeah, and right? I guess if you made it to 10 years, I guess what this statistic is saying is that even if you're dissatisfied, because the majority of marriages are dissatisfied at, at, right. at 10 years, or at least 60% are dissatisfied, you're not getting a divorce. But at 10 years, it's more like, hey, you have a kid, you don't want to get divorced because you're thinking about the kids. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, this is the topic of another, uh, could be a, a topic of another podcast with experts and stuff, but I do say that's a BS reason to stay married for the kids. Really? I know this as a divorced person with kids, it was much harder for my kids when they saw me and their mom arguing or unhappy. Then instead of that, you know, I lived in the same town as my ex, as my kids were growing up. I was able to see them as much as possible. They, they saw both of us. They saw both of us happy and in some cases in happy relationships. And they essentially had two homes and right. twice the attention. You know, not every situation is the same. Sometimes it would be better for the kids, but I think that's just an excuse why people stay together when they're unhappy. Yeah. Essentially, if you're unhappy, either make your marriage happier or get out of it because you have one life and freedom is important. You could be free and feel free in a happy marriage. Marriages do require a lot of work. So don't just give up when right. you're the first time you're unhappy or the second time or the third time. Marriages require a lot of work, but don't use an excuse to stay married. Because that's the right. worst thing for the kids. Then the kids, they're going to use excuses also later in life. Like they're going to learn by example. Right. But the real interesting thing here is that then you go to a country like India or countries like that where there are arranged marriages. And they did the same surveys 
with arranged marriages. And it's one thing if people say they're happy in an arranged marriage because they feel like forced or obligated, but these are like private, these are like anonymous surveys. So in an arranged marriage in the first year, only about 55% say that they're satisfied in their marriage. So they're being honest. So if, 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 if you're in a society with an arranged marriage and you had to marry your husband or you had to marry your wife, as opposed to in America, 70% of love marriages say they're happy in the first year, only about a little more than 50%. And, but by year 10, when love marriages, um, like in America, only 40% say they're satisfied with arranged marriages, over 70% say they're satisfied in year 10 or more. Wait, so are you saying that we should have arranged marriage? We should bring back, we should bring those back? Well, they're not saying that, they're just giving data. Yeah, so, but like, but why do you think, data, why sense. do you think arranged marriages, they're more satisfied than love marriages after year 10? I wonder if because they, I mean, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I never have an arranged marriage before, but I'm, I live close enough to India that I can kind of speak for them. Um, in, in Malaysia, I, are there arranged marriages? Yeah, yeah. All the, uh, some of the Indian people in Malaysia, it's arranged marriages. Uh, okay, it's so pretty like, com- like traditional. It seems like such an unusual thing to have an arranged marriage. And, and this data even shows it. Like, uh, it's only 50 50 who's satisfied in the very beginning of an arranged marriage, but it becomes 70 yeah. 30 after 10 years, as opposed it's to 40 60 the other way for love marriages. Right. So I, I do have to say, like in Malaysia, like they are, they are, even in as a Chinese Malaysian, there are some. Let's say if if your parents have money, like some of their kids have to have arranged marriages because uh, I don't know if there's a phrase in is in English, but in Chinese, it, the phrase goes along like the financial situation has to be compatible. So like they don't like their daughter marry like a poor man. Right. But by the way, we know from talking to our podcast with Seth Davidowitz that right. that has no bearing on whether a marriage is going to no, be happy or not. No. For them, it's just ego. Yeah, like uh, for, according to Seth, who wrote a book on this, uh, and we did a podcast about it, the only real indicator of whether a marriage is going to be happy is whether the two people were happy before they met. Right. So yeah. I think what happens with arranged marriages is that you're forced into this situation, So mm-hmm. you, and there's much more stigma to divorce in an arranged marriage, so you learn how to basically love each other. Yeah. And also like in those countries, having a divorce is sort of a disgrace. I mean, like I felt like right. divorce. But remember, it's, this is not about divorce. This is about satisfaction. Oh, right, 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 right. So right. yeah, they're not going to get, so a hundred percent arranged marriages are probably not going to get divorced or close to that. No. Whereas right, right. many more love marriages get divorced. But, but what's interesting is that so many more arranged marriages are satisfied at the longer they're together. Huh. I wonder if I should try to do this too. Yeah. You should get an arranged marriage. Tell your mom to arrange a marriage for you back in Malaysia. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, 
I could be making money on that right now by hosting and, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So, okay, here's kind of the funniest one that I've uncovered of life's greatest ironies. So I saw an article which has a bunch of photos of real newspapers. And so these are some titles of some news articles. So this was an article in California. State population to double by 2040, babies to blame. By the way, this is my opinion of not all reporters, not all journalists. Like I know many journalists who are great writers and great thinkers, but I feel like the best writers now going forward, they don't need to write for a newspaper. They'll write for, yep. you know, Substack or or where you could charge or Medium or some other place where they could choose themselves essentially. You, you don't have to write. I remember one time I was having lunch with one of the, the main editors of the of the Wall Street Journal. He no longer works there, so I'm not I'm not outing him or anything. But he was like the managing editor of the Wall Street Journal. And he said, I'm, and this is this is 10 over 10 years ago. And he said, I'm having a big problem is that uh, some of my reporters are getting a lot of attention on social media. They're getting a big following on social media and they want more money. And that was his problem, that his reporters were actually getting popular. So so okay. that and that shows you now the popular writers, the best writers, they don't need the brand of like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or a newspaper. This is like a fake filter that weak writers now hide behind because no one else, you know, no one else will care about their opinion unless it says New York times. Like no one cares about these weak journalists opinion unless they're hiding behind the fake wall of a brand. And yeah. And the whole point of journalism, I mean, journalism, it's to bring you news, right? Like they, they have to be as neutral as possible. And right now that that does that doesn't happen. Anymore. Oh yeah, and they admit that. Like that now they all admit that. So, but but the other thing people should know about the news is that like I know for a fact that every article has at least one lie in it. And the reason I know that is because every article ever written about me has had lies in it, where I've pointed even out to the reporters the lies and they refuse to change it. Egregious lies. Like one article said. When I did the New York City is Dead article, one article said I didn't live in New York. I lived in New York until just last September. And I said, here's my address. Like, here's my rental stubs. Like, I lived in New York City. And then I talked to other people, and they say the exact same thing. So are we the only people that articles are lying about? Or it just so happens they're lying about everything. Like, right. 
Right. I mean, like, that's how they get the clickbait, right? I mean, like you say, maybe they are the weak writer. Not that I'm better writer than them. Maybe they are weak writer. They, they, have to, they have to fall behind. They have to hide behind some sort of organizations that can cover for them. Well, that's just it. They don't have to, like, when, they say, when you say something in the New York Times and someone calls and says, hey, that was wrong about me, it's, or, it's too late. Like, everybody's already yeah. read it. So they don't yeah, care. And- but the whole thing is, though, they can say an opinion backed up by incorrect or lying facts. And I've had an example of this just recently where someone wrote about a friend of mine and I was interviewed for the article and they said, did X, Y, Z occur? And I said, no, it definitely did not. Here's proof. And they wrote about my friend uh, who's an important person who's actually been on this podcast. And they implied that all these things happened that I know for a fact didn't happen. They like specifically lied. They, they don't care. They just don't care. And, and the thing is, again, they're weak writers and they have weak yeah. opinions that they can't back up with with either facts or wisdom. So they they hide behind the banner of the New York Times or the Washington Post or, or the Wall Street Journal. And then, oh, you can't say this person is a bad writer. He writes for the New York Times or she writes for the New York Times. Well, guess what? The New York Times now is filled with bad writers because of the, the great writers are choosing themselves and, and, and writing on their own and, and doing their own thing. And I'm not saying this is true for all reporters and I'm not saying this is true for everybody who, who, there's a lot of bad writers who write on their own as well and they just say controversial things and they get publicity. But uh, in general, and look, I'm, I'll finish some of these ironic titles. Here's another headline. Uh, Homicide victims rarely talk to police. Really? <laughs> like, could that be because they're dead? <laughs> Dead people usually don't talk to the police. So hom- again, homicide victims rarely talk to police. Uh, right. Here's another one. Um, uh, we hate math, say four in 10, which is a majority of Americans. No, it would be six in 10 would be a majority. So well, you, know how to, you know how to tell if they're lying? How? Like on the article that would say, sources say. They always say sources says, or they say a person familiar with the matter, and then right. they never back up, back it up with anything. That's no citations or anything. Right, and you know, usually it used to be that editors wouldn't allow stuff like that. Like if you watch, oh really? Like a, a great journalism movie is All the President's Men, written uh, about the Bernstein and Woodward investigation of Watergate in 1974, and oh, right. uh, uh, it was a great movie. Robert Redford and uh, Dustin Hoffman play uh, Woodward and, and, and Bernstein, they had to prove their sources so well to their editor. It was like they were providing proof for a scientific, you know, uh, journal. Uh, but anyway, we hate math, say four in 10, a majority of Americans. Someone wrote that headline. And Jesus. if media says something, don't use that as your source. Like if you want to, if you want to genuinely form an opinion on something, then really dig and, and you be like the journalist. You find your sources and do the research and, and investigate. Don't just rely on anything they say on, you know, some, you know, channel like CNBC. Right. Like on CNBC's, it, they could be the worst because a guy goes on there and says, oh, I think Apple's going to do um, this, this, and this next year. They're going to make, you know, $20 billion in profits next year. Why would that guy say that? Well, maybe he owns a million shares of Apple. So he'll make up any number so that people buy Apple so he can get rid of his Apple shares at a high price. Like CME, that's all day long on CNBC. And people like 
listen to that all day long. I'm just curious. Like, I mean, you have been in this, you know, this situation before. Like, can a journalist be sued ever? That's a good question. Yeah. First off, they could be sued for libel, but it's really hard. Like, let's say, right. And I will tell you this: like, people have written negative articles about me, and I have at least once or twice spoken to a lawyer. And you have to prove three things. You have to prove that it's not true what they said. You have to prove that they had malicious intent and they weren't just making a mistake. And you have to prove what your financial damages were. So how can I prove that? Like if someone says something bad about me and right. let's say next month, I don't make as much money for some reason, like our podcast downloads go down or whatever. How can I prove it was related to that one statement that someone said, one article said about me? Yeah, and also how to prove that person has a malicious intent. Like they could yeah. be just like untrolling. That that's not a malicious intent. So the answer is you can sue for that, and you and there's many examples of people winning. But I think it's very. Let me see what percentage. I'm gonna Google this. I for one know that Johnny Depp lost the uh, lost the uh, lost the uh, lawsuit. Did he lose? I thought he made some money. No, he he won the latest one, the defamations against Amber Heard, but he lost the one against the newspaper. Oh yeah, right. He lost that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what the statistics are though. How many people win libel cases? But I think it's pretty small. And I think most people don't bring libel cases. You know, it costs a lot of money to sue someone. And if the chances are you're going to lose, you just don't bring the case up. And here's the problem too: sometimes the people who lie about you, they, you know, they're backed by big organizations. So you can't, how are you going to sue the New York Times? It's very hard. They have a lot more money. But anyway, that's the problem with newspapers is that right now it's just don't trust them because those are where all, I'm not saying every writer is bad who go, works at a newspaper. There are, I know many good ones at newspapers, but in general, the weakest writers now, with the, and more importantly, the people with the weakest opinions need the shield of a high brand newspaper in order for anyone to listen to them or else nobody would listen to them because it's just filled with lies and bad opinions. Right. What if they say, "Hey, that's the only way that I can get my foot in the door," or 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 or, or something along the line? Yeah, what would that's you say? true. Like a great example is someone like Barry Weiss. And so, if you don't know who Barry Weiss is, she has a lot of, uh, and I, you know, whether you I agree with her on some things, disagree with her at others, but she has very strong opinions backed by lots of facts. And so she has, she's a very popular Substack newsletter. She's she's been on Joe Rogan. She's been on all the talk shows. She was a, a uh, an editor or an opinion writer at uh, okay. a columnist at the New York Times. She's a very big writer. So I knew her from 15 years ago. She was actually, you know, straight out of school. She was my grammar editor at the Wall Street oh, Journal. Oh, really? Yeah. And she obviously didn't like being my grammar editor. She became a columnist at the New York Times and a very successful one. And then the New York Times, a lot of the reporters complained about her because they didn't like her opinions, which goes to show you the weak writers are threatened. So rather than just simply use their writing skills to express their own opinions and disagree in, in, in the public forum that Barry Weiss was publishing in, they back-channeled and used corporate politics to essentially force her to leave the New York Times. So she left and she wrote an article about why she was leaving, which was, it was you know, she couldn't really fight the culture there. And right. um, she writes, she has a good sub stack, which I subscribe to. 
a newsletter. You can find her on just Google B-A-R-I-W-E-I-S-S, Barry Weiss on Substack, or you could see her Joe Rogan show is, is very good. She's not like a conservative. She's not a liberal. It's, it's not that. It's just, she just states what she feels and very good writer. And, uh, uh, and, and now she does her own thing at Substack and she makes a much better living now than she ever did as a reporter. But the reason I bring her up is this is an example where I know personally, because she was like, correcting my grammar as a small time editor at the wall street journal, she had to get in the door and rise mm -hmm. up and get an audience. And when she saw that everybody else around her was essentially not as good as her, she left and did her own thing. Okay. So, so she you chose can herself. Just, she chose herself. Like, so you can, you can just be, you can, you know, rather than writing for like a big publication, you can just start writing for yourself. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You know, it's interesting. So, and I'll bring up this article because it went so viral, like some 30 million people read it. But when I wrote this New York City is Dead article in August 2020, which by the way, I still get messages about every single day. You today, today, for instance, today I got a message. So someone wrote me, you know, what a terrible take you had. Now a third of New York City renters are being forced out of their homes due to unprecedented demand leading to jacked up rates we've never seen. So the words unprecedented demand tell me that this person read this in a headline somewhere. Unprecedented demand. So, but, but then I, I have to ask the, you know, value is a product of not just demand, but also supply. So I, I wrote back and of course I've gotten no response. Let me ask you this. Is it unprecedented demand that is causing the prices or limited supply? Because the eviction courts are still overloaded from the eviction moratorium that New York City had for two years. Yeah, And I say, don't be fooled by the false brands of media. Some headline you read might not be the full truth. It might be only half the truth. Right. And then I don't know if you heard about this, but that's, that's, a, that's more than 25,000 Airbnb or, or short-term rental in New York City now. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that means people are taking their apartments yep. off the supply because they can make um, a lot uh, more, more money as an Airbnb. So there's all these things that are keeping the supply low. So of course, even if demand remains the same, or even if demand goes down, yeah. prices could go up. I also read somewhere that a lot of landlord take their uh, inventory like out when a tenant moved out because they are on a rent control or rent stabilizations actually. So they are waiting for the law or the bill to be overturned so they can lease their apartment for a higher price. So they'd rather hold the apartment and not rent it out. Yeah, so that happens in an inflationary period. That's the real problem with inflation. But uh, the shortage of judges in New York's housing court is causing massive pain for both tenants and landlords. Now, of course, I'm reading this headline from a newspaper, so I'd have to, well, if I really wanted to find out the data, I would go to newyorkcitycourts.gov or whatever and try to, figure out the data, but 
let's see at least what this says. Because the New York courts have lifted these eviction moratoriums, housing court is two and a half years behind on their cases. And the number of judges is about half of what the judges were before the pandemic. So of course there's rising rentals because even if demand remains the same, the supply is fixed by the people who can't get evicted. So supply yeah. has gone way down. I mean, I remember at the time, 800,000 people were, were using the eviction moratorium to avoid paying rent. And if a lot of those people are now stuck in the court system, then of course rental prices are up. You're not, maybe you're right that there's unprecedented demand or maybe you're not. We don't know, but we do know that supply is down. So right. we don't know for sure if it is, but that could be the reason for the higher prices. Again, this just requires basic critical thinking, which is really important to survive in life. Or, or if you don't have critical thinking, then what you have to do is you have to join a tribe which will think for you. And right. that's what ends up happening is that, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're either one of us or you're one of them. They ignore the gray areas and the people who live in the gray. Right. And that's the problem. And that's the interesting thing about pointing out these ridiculous ironies. Like even going back to the first one, my kid who says, oh, you should recycle to help the environment. Sure, I'll recycle and I'll help the environment. But just don't subscribe to the environment tribe. Yes, it's great to be good for the environment. No one would argue with that. But look at other ways too. And, and don't make me feel guilty. How about you, you know, hang dry your clothes instead of using the dryer? How about you eat a plant-based diet instead of going out for steak every week? How about you cancel all of your trips to Europe over the next year? Like, don't just give me some guilt trip. And, and right. at every level, think before you start spouting your dumb opinions. Uh, and, and that applies to me too. And anything I'm saying even right now, like, you know, we're just having a conversation. I'm not saying a, a, anything I'm saying is gospel, but this is what I feel about why these ironies exist is because we've lost this ability to critically think blanket believed the media. And I'm not saying the media always lies. And I'm not saying the government always lies, but we went through a hard time as a society these past two years where the government for better or for worse told us we can't go to work. We can't run our business. You know, and, and 60,000 small businesses in New York city went out of business because of this. We, we have to stay inside by ourselves. We have to wear a mask all the time. Uh, we can't go to the doctor for legitimate reasons. And, and unfortunately now things have opened up. This doesn't happen now, but there were a lot of cases of depression and mental illness and even suicide that resulted in many people went bankrupt. People I knew, I owned a small business in New York city. I, and many of my peers in that lost their businesses and were very sad about it. And all of those things, by the way, were ruled unconstitutional by any court who, who ruled on them. And so this is turning into a rant about the government. The government does many good things. I don't blame anyone in the government. It was on both sides that were they were insisting on it. And you know, we even talked to someone on the podcast who, who was talking about the Constitution and said, you know, the Constitution refers in order to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And life was more important than liberty. But many state Supreme Courts that ruled against the business closures thought that you got to just listen to the Constitution where it says you need due process before you could shut down a business. So in any case, enough of life's greatest ironies and why they exist. They're pretty funny. 
particularly that climate change one and the Game of Thrones productivity one and uh, some of these newspaper headlines. And Jay, your suggestion of renaming the phone just a pod or an iPod, iPod. I agree with. Yes, just iPod, nothing else. Nothing else. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, thanks, everyone. Let us know on Twitter if you want to add to this discussion. Heck, we'll have you on if you have something to add. And uh, uh, let us know if you like this podcast and tell all your friends to subscribe because it really helps me continue to do this, to know that there's feedback. Because podcasts, there's no feedback ever. It's really is an unusual thing. And we don't have a YouTube podcast. So, but anyway, Jay, thanks very much for letting me throw these ideas at you. And good, good job. Thank you. I'm trying to build my uh, reputations as a call host. Yes, you're doing a very good job. Maybe you should be Joe Rogan's co-host next. I should. I need to shave my head, though. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. That would be a good look on you. I think if you build your muscles, you could do that if you work yeah, out. I have to, yeah, I have to uh, eat a ton of steroids. All right, thank you, James. All right, see you later. Thank you, see ya.